Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. My name is Eric Reardon. I'll be the host for the show. Um, got some inspiration to do this from my boss at the baseball warehouse, Joe Augustine. I'd be remiss if I didn't give him a shout out right at the top of the episode here. Um, had a conversation with Joe yesterday just talking about starting a business, being a business owner, um, and just kind of going for it, taking that leap of faith where, you know, you have an idea that you think can work and you want to give it a shot and you sit there and you think about it for a while and sooner or later you got to just pull the trigger. So, Joe, um, I'm sure you're going to see this and uh, I'm sure you're going to give me a hard time about it and put me on blast a little bit, but this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And uh, if it wasn't for your advice, um, I don't think I would have pulled the trigger and jumped into it. So I don't have any notes. Um, I don't have any talking points that I'm trying to get after here. I'm just kind of giving this a trial run. I got some new equipment that we're trying out. Um, and, you know, I'm sure just like uh, just like in baseball, as the podcast here is going to be centered around, you know, your first at bat of your career, um, hopefully isn't as good as, you know, your first at bat, your uh, your junior year of college once you make it to that level. So, um Bear with me in my first episode here, and uh, we're going to give this thing a go. So, like I said, my name's Eric Reardon. Uh, my resume, I grew up here in North Brunswick, New Jersey. Played high school ball at North Brunswick Township High School. Um, as much as I'll try my best not to talk about myself resume-wise, I was the 2015 Greater Middlesex County Player of the Year. Went on to a career as a left-handed pitcher at Rutgers University. Pitched in the Big Ten for five years. Um, currently, um, two years out of undergrad, two years out of college, I am a coach at the baseball warehouse. I do some lessons there. I do some strength and conditioning stuff there. I coach our 15U and our 13U team. So this year it was the seventh graders and the freshmen. Um, also, right now I'm the pitching coach at Rutgers Newark. Play in the NJAC conference, one of the better conferences nationally at the D3 level. And I'm pursuing my master's degree there in economics right now. So I got about a semester and a half left of that. And then hopefully, if everything goes according to plan right now, we'll, uh, we'll be done with school forever at that point. So right now, really looking forward to that. I'm um, just turning that page and in that chapter in my life. But again, as I said, it's that's, uh, that's if everything goes according to plan. Um, how I jumped into that gig at Rutgers Newark is pretty interesting. I finished up my undergrad career the same way every kid really does. I, uh, I got my degree in business management from the business school at Rutgers in New Brunswick. Um, a couple of my friends that had graduated the year before me helped me out, gave me an opportunity to interview for some positions. I had um, been offered and accepted a sales role at a company here in North Jersey, and I had I had taken it, and then two or three days later, I get a call from Connor Cortman. He's our head coach at Rutgers Newark, and he asked me if I wanted to be the GA and be the pitching coach um, up at school there. It was just an opportunity that was too good to pass up, so I called uh, I called the staff that had interviewed me at the sales company. I said, you know, listen, I really appreciate your time. I was excited for this opportunity, but something else came up, and uh, based on the position I was at then, it was just something I couldn't turn down. So. A little bit of a whirlwind of activity there about a year and a half ago now that ended me up where I am now. Um, and to circle back to the baseball warehouse thing, one of the big things that uh, enticed me to take the job at Rutgers Newark was that at the D3 level, you can still work with these high school guys and you can still get in there and coach these teams. So 
that's uh, that's something that up to this point in my life has meant a whole lot to me. Um, something that's super important. Something that I really enjoy doing. And uh, making that transition from playing to coaching, it was a ton of fun. So um, it's been the best of both worlds, seriously, this situation that I'm in where I get to uh, coach at the college level, coach some guys that are big time and uh, trying to trying to turn around that Rutgers Newark program there. Um, coach Cortman has put together an awesome staff, an awesome team with Marquay Mayo and Josh Miller. Uh, Marquay works with our infielders and our hitters. Josh works with our outfielders and our hitters. Big shout out to Josh. Uh, a couple days ago, earlier this week, he became a dad. So, Josh, if you see this, um, big shout out to to you and your wife and to Lila. I'm super excited to add another fan to our Rutgers Newark family. So that's awesome. Uh, wish you guys all the best, and uh, it'll be cool to have somebody else, little guy, running around the stands for the seasons to come here. Um, so I guess just to start from the foundation. Um, Growing up in North Brunswick, um, our head coach at the time, Ryan Lillis, he was a former baseball warehouse guy. He uh, he also played at Rutgers University. He was a third baseman there. Um, so I grew up connected to both of those programs. By, uh, my mom is a Rutgers alum. My dad is the equipment guy for the Rutgers baseball team. He does a couple other sports currently. He's with um, wrestling. He's with field hockey. He's with women's tennis. He's bounced around sport to sport there uh, throughout his tenure. I think he's on year 39. So with that background from my parents, we always grew up as a Rutgers family. We've had season tickets to the basketball games my whole life. We love supporting uh, both the men's and the women's teams. Um, and then another cool thing there is my dad does the PA at, um, we still call it the Rack affectionately, but it's now the Jersey Mike's Arena. Um Rutgers basketball has become big around here. So, you know, the, the guy you hear, if you've ever been at one of those games with the famous Geo with the trio call, um, that's him. And he's he's still kicking. He's still doing it there uh, this season. So awesome to see the boys off to a 2-0 and start, and we're looking for their continued success. Um, potential for the first time in, uh, in Rutgers basketball history to make three consecutive NCAA tournaments this year. So that's what we're all hoping for. But... Um, off, uh, off of that tangent, just kind of more of my background, um, growing up in North Brunswick, having a role model like Ryan List, Lillis to look up to um, through the baseball warehouse as a Rutgers guy, it was pretty cool going up uh, through my middle school career to just have that aspiration to play for the varsity team and play for Coach Lillis. And then once I, once I got that opportunity, I played four JV games as a freshman. I got called up to the varsity team. And that's where I wanted to stay, and I was uh, I was on a mission to make that happen. So, super thankful to Coach Lillis for giving me that opportunity early on in my career as a 14 year old to go up there and play varsity ball. Um, and then as my career, uh, you know, continued, and as we got down the line, and playing college baseball became a realistic aspiration. It was pretty cool uh, to have a guy in my corner who he always said he wasn't going to push me to Rutgers, but he always hoped that I was going to end up there. And you know, with my uh, with my background and with my connection to the university, it really never was much in question that that was the place I wanted to go to. Um, I had some cool opportunities to showcase around the country. I had some cool opportunities to, um, you know, receive a few offers from a different from a different number of schools. But um, at the end of the day, the 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 decision to go to Rutgers was one that was never really in doubt. And I just remember having a conversation at the dinner room table with my parents and, uh, and my younger brother, Danny, who uh, I'm hoping will make a couple appearances on this podcast. Um, just when that whole recruiting process was going down, it's a whirlwind. Um, a lot of the guys that we have at the warehouse now are going through it. A lot of you high school guys out there go through it. If you're not going through it now, you will. If you have aspirations to play so, uh, college ball, 
it's it's uh, it's a whirlwind. It's a crazy process, and it comes at you really fast. And I just remember us getting caught up in it one day, and me saying, "Listen, guys, I'm going I'm going to Rutgers one way or the other. We just gotta we just gotta find a way that makes it work for us." So awesome, um, awesome chain of events for me going through that recruiting process. As much as it was hectic, it was super exciting to make the decision to go to Rutgers, and I ended up with an awesome. Uh, awesome blend of minds to learn from once I got there. So I graduated high school in 2016. I got on campus at Rutgers in the fall of 2016. My first spring playing for the team was in 2017. Um, pitched out of the bullpen a little bit, got a, got one start my freshman year. Uh, sophomore year, I was starting midweeks at the beginning of the season, got a Big Ten start against Illinois. Um, some funny stories there. We'll see if we get into it now or later on down the line. Um, but that ended up being the last start of my career, uh, first or second Big Ten weekend that year. And then uh, from there on out, I was a bullpen guy. Um, focused a lot on my breaking ball, focused a lot on being that lefty-lefty guy. So it pains me now at the big league level to see that they've uh, added that three-batter minimum and they've kind of taken away um, the lefty specialists. Um, my boy, Big Brian Fitzpatrick, just got drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers. Um He's out there in Arizona right now at their uh, at their spring training site, getting after it, continuing his work in the off season here. He always used to say my player comp was Jerry Blevins, um, which uh, which always gave us a good chuckle because Jerry's only job in the big leagues was to make millions of dollars to get Bryce Harper out. And uh, you know, as uh, as much as everybody at the college level and at the high school level wants to be a starting pitcher, I thought it was really fun to think about just getting up there on the mound and and getting lefties out, throwing sliders. Um, having fun ripping the breaking ball and being that specialist guy that was a role that I really enjoyed later on in my career um the journey through Rutgers was interesting a lot of people always ask me about if there's any adversity that's involved with playing for a number of different coaching staffs. so uh if you're not familiar with the program we went through a series of three different coaching changes while I was there I was recruited by one coaching staff after my freshman year our pitching coach and our hitting coach both uh moved on found opportunities elsewhere um a little bit of a a little bit of a transition period where we brought in a new pitching and hitting coach for my sophomore and junior year and then after my junior year we ended up with a full slate on the new staff um steve owens and brendan monahan kyle Pettaruto came in at that point the guys that are currently there um and it was just a total regime change uh in my career at Rutgers. but what i always tell people is as much as as much as we can take that as um, some type of adversity, something, some, some negative that faces us. What I think has become super important in my baseball career, especially as I transition into coaching now, is the ability to blend these ideas from different minds, kind of compile them into a craft that, that I like to claim as my own, but um, at this point in my career, coaching career, two or three years into it, it's really just me reiterating what I've learned from a bunch of different minds. So I, I heard uh, I heard a quote one time that, you know, the best coaches are the best thieves. And in that regard, um, you know, as much as thieves has a negative connotation to it, um, really all, all I feel like as a coach, and uh, I, I wonder if other coaches out there relate to it, I just feel like a mouthpiece for everybody that's come before me, for everybody that I've learned from in that, you know, Am I really the one creating these things? How much have I done on my own or how much have I been able to develop from the things that I've learned? And my my belief system at my core has always been to, to give thanks and show gratitude to the people who have been in your corner. So especially being a young coach the way I am now, um, I really don't like to take credit for the things that I do, but I think it's really important to note that 
I have uh, been able to kind of take what has worked from all of these different voices that I've had um, in my career and just kind of reiterate that and, and spit that back out to guys in, uh, in ways that, you know, in my brain, if, if it was helpful to me as a player, I can use it to be helpful to my players as a coach. So stability wise, you know, I was going from one coaching staff to another, to a third in my college career, but ultimately I got, I got a benefit where I was able to take ideas from three different sets of coaches um, through my five years in college. So super grateful that I was able to learn from a bunch of different minds that all provided a little bit of a unique perspective. And um, I have I have fun um, embracing the challenge now where I get to I get to figure out the best way to piece those things together in a in a way that applies and is most helpful to the guys on my pitching staff at Rutgers Newark now. Um, as I have the Alaska League, uh, Alaska Collegiate Baseball League hat on, um, it's kind of interesting to take into perspective the role that summer ball plays um, as a college baseball player. So it's a little bit of a slept-on aspect when it comes to, to looking at the high school game and as that recruiting process goes on. Um, summer ball in high school is pretty easy to think about. Everybody plays for their travel team in the summertime. Uh, you go from the spring with your high school team and you roll right into travel ball, and that's where a lot of the recruiting gets done. But I think what a lot of guys miss is the role that summer ball plays even when you get to college. So the way that it breaks down is you'll start your season. Um, your first game will be right around Valentine's Day in February. You'll play through the end of the school year. Your regular season will usually finish up around the end of May, and then any postseason stuff that goes on runs through June. Um, once that college season ends, you're still going to get – shipped off all around the country to go play summer ball um, with uh, with the squad that you're placed with. So I was lucky enough that I was able to travel all around the country in my college career to play summer ball. And the best part about it is that it was it was free. A lot of uh, a lot of my friends that didn't play a sport in college um, went on trips in the summertime, but the money was coming out of their pocket. So it was awesome for me to to have the opportunity to see different places and to have that covered and to stay with awesome host families. Um, as far as that story goes, after my freshman year, me and uh, a catcher from Rutgers, Tyler McNamara, we went out to Kansas to play in what was then the Jayhawk League. I think nowadays it's called the Sunflower League. They've condensed a little bit, few less teams, kind of a combination of a couple teams in that area. So when we played in it, six of the teams were in Kansas, two of the teams were in Oklahoma. It was an eight-team league, and you know us Jersey boys got to see a part of the country that was super foreign to us, a uh, different lifestyle, different... Um, Different, different in a ton of different respects when you're out there. Um, but it was awesome to, to go experience what uh, what really high-level JUCO ball looks like. We had a lot of guys there that were fighting for D1 positions coming out of JUCOs that were just ballers. And it was super eye-opening, um, especially when you're talking about, the, you know, as it pertains to the recruiting process, just a lot of guys are really concerned with the D1 or bust attitude. And as much as D1 is sick um, – don't get me wrong. I love to. I love to say that I played at Rutgers and I played it in the Big Ten, and it's 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 cool without a doubt. But there's good college baseball. There's really really solid college baseball at every level out there, and that was really my first opportunity to get my eyes open to that fact. Um, getting sent out to Kansas for three months, um, playing with some guys that were just dudes from the middle of nowhere, small towns that had an opportunity to play on a on a pretty big stage in the summertime, get seen by D1 college coaches 
get seen by D2 and D3 college coaches trying to get to a four-year school to get seen by MLB uh, scouts while we were out there um, for us in a different part of the country away from home where it was probably 30, 20, 30 degrees hotter than it would have been in a, in a New Jersey or a New York local league. Um, it was it was awesome. Our, uh, our host mom out there, um, the late, great Peggy Dwyer, and uh, we got to hang out with her dog, Bobby, who we affectionately dubbed Robert um, during our time out there. Just um, really just a super awesome experience to be able to go out there and, and get a feel for what college summer ball looks like with an awesome host mom, awesome house. She had the basement set up, so me and Tyler had it to ourselves, hung out down there. Uh, she cooked breakfast for us in the morning. She'd always have dinner on the stove for us when we got home post-game. Uh, she helped out with the fundraising at the field, so she was there for every game cheering us on. Um, super awesome woman, Peggy. We miss you. If you're looking down on us, we uh, we always we always appreciate the memories. Um, so after after that summer in Kansas, uh, we go back to school. I play my sophomore year on the banks, um, and then it was time for me to go to the Northwoods League. So the Northwoods League was infamous back then for not feeding their players well. So it was always a big thing all over Falpo Sports. Um, shout out to those guys. Awesome account to follow throughout the years. Um, that the guys that played in the Northwoods, just the, like the, the food situation out there was terrible. So what makes that interesting is, um, so the Northwoods is still infamous for their, their schedule. So the summertime is like a big league schedule. It's 72 games in 80 days. So eight off days throughout the course of just about three months, um, going after it every day, bus rides across the, across the country, across the Midwest. So my team, the Waterloo Bucks located in, um, Waterloo, Iowa, stayed with an awesome family out there. The Palos, Cindy and Greg, they were great. Um, uh, host sister, Sarah, she's awesome. Still checks in every once in a while. Um, great to maintain that relationship with those guys. Um, gave us a great setup out there. I went out with, uh, with my buddy, Kevin Welsh later on in the, uh, later on in the summertime, Luke Bowerbank and Carmen Scafani outfielder in a third baseman for us joined us. We had a ton of fun out there that summer, but going out, we had this, uh, we had this idea in our head that we weren't going to get fed well. So the, the difference is when you're going on that 72 games and 80 day schedule, a lot of your meals are, you get to the field. The concession staff has something prepared for you. You go through your BP, you go through your pregame, you play the game. There's a meal for you waiting in the clubhouse on your way out. There had been a ton of noise being made that guys were getting like cheese sandwiches and like three pieces of lettuce and a tomato. They were calling a salad, and that was it. So we got a we got a pretty sick benefit that that was all blowing up right when we got there. So we got fed real good when we were in the Northwoods League. Um, I haven't heard much much uh, talk about that that situation lasting so i think um there might have been a bit of a culture change there um in the northwoods league i don't know if that setup happens anymore a couple of my buddies that were younger than me at Rutgers and uh, a couple old warehouse guys that are playing elsewhere um have been to the northwoods since and i haven't heard any reports on that so we definitely appreciate the northwoods cleaning up their act a little bit and getting that stuff together and um and treating those guys well, man, you, you got to go out there and you got to grind. Even as a pitcher, I'm getting in the game maybe once or twice, three times a week if it's a busy week. And um, it's a grind. It's it's a lot of work. So especially for those position guys that are out there playing 72 games in 80 days, plus the all-star game and uh, and that showcase, you end up with 74 days of baseball in 80 days if you're playing at that level. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And uh, to think that we weren't going to get the meals and get the fuel in us for those long bus rides was uh 
was a little bit daunting, but it was good to see that uh, that stuff started to clean itself up uh, as uh, as we made it throughout the season out there. Um, yeah, that experience was awesome. My team was based in Iowa. We played teams in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. We went out to Minnesota. We played in North Dakota. We played the Thunder Bay team up in Canada. Um, all over the map, all over the map, really, just going state to state. Um, Four-hour bus ride was our shortest trip. I think the trip to Thunder Bay took us 12. Going out to uh, Bismarck, North Dakota was 10. So a lot of long bus rides. You get really tight with your guys out there, and that's the crazy part of it is uh, – you know, you go from being super tight with the boys you play with on campus and then you build these relationships with these guys over the summer and then it's done. And then you go right back to campus and you start all over new again. So it's cool uh, that we have social media these days that we can keep up with each other. And then it was really cool when, you know, we would go back to school and um, play play against guys that we had played with or played against and develop these relationships within the summertime and just get to see them again and reconnect was always a fun time. Um so, yeah, like I said, uh, that season ends. We make it through. Um, I think I got a post way down on my Instagram somewhere. I think something like 73 guys played for the Bucks that summer, and only four of us made it from day one to day 80. So um, shout out to those guys. Trey Leonard played at Louisville, finished up at Troy. Brendan Hewitt, another Jersey guy, played his career at uh, at St. Joe's in Philly. And then Rob Reeser, guy out from uh, Montana, played college ball at, uh, at a D3 in Oregon. Um, so definitely got tight with those guys. Um, it was awesome to, to put that, uh, to put that post together on, uh, on our last day and say we made it through all 80 days in the Northwoods league. Um, and, uh, and like I, like I referenced those foul pole guys before they gave us a nice little shout out in the comments on that post saying, uh, you know, we get, uh, dubbing us the core four and just uh just you know it takes a, it takes a serious effort to make it through all 80 days in the Northwoods and uh, it's no small feat so definitely appreciated the love from those guys but yeah I mean to that end after uh after day 80 out there you know we packed up our stuff drove it me and uh me and Luke Bowerbank drove it back to back to Jersey uh, funny little tidbit there I dropped I dropped Luke off at his house up in North Jersey I got I got my car out there so I gotta drive it about a half hour down the turnpike back home Luke tells me, listen, the cops around here are crazy, so just have your head on a swivel on your way out of here. No sooner did I make it out of Luke's neighborhood than I got pulled over by a uh, local police officer. And, uh, you know, the funny part of that conversation is he asked for my license, registration, all that good stuff. And uh, he goes, well, where are you coming from? And I said, believe it or not, I'm coming from Iowa. And he goes, well, you got a Jersey license. How are you coming from Iowa? I said, Long, uh, long couple months in summer ball. Today's finally the day to get home. I guess I'm just a little bit anxious. So, thankful to uh, to that officer letting me off with the uh, with the slap on the wrist there, getting me out of there, saying get home safe and and slow the car down. He uh, he told me there's a bunch of deer up in that area and he didn't want me hitting any. So I guess I'll take that over the uh, over the speeding ticket any day. Um, from then on, you live out the last couple weeks of the summertime. You get back on campus, hit class, fall practice, um, and then you're back at it again with your boys. Um, on campus playing in the Big Ten. So I get through my junior season, and uh, actually the first day of the fall that year, our hitting coach at the time comes up to me and says, if you don't get drafted this year, do you want to go to Alaska? And I was like, sign me up right now. I'm I'm dying. I'm dying to go. I've been all around the country playing summer ball so far. Um, let's see how far out west I can get. So we go to a, we go to a four-hour different time zone out in Kenai, Alaska, Um incredible i'll tell people to this day that i still miss that place i'm dying to go back um awesome setup there um ton of games five teams in the league you end up playing the same team like five six seven games in a row but it's a blast they push it at 
five games a week, so those last two days, they're kind of uh, adherent to the fact that, you know, nobody there is really living in Alaska aside from the, the couple local guys. So they give you an opportunity to be a tourist. Um, spend a lot of time hanging out in Anchorage, uh, checking out the, the big city there. Awesome mall. Um, we spent a ton of time in the mall, just pregame, postgame, kind of hanging out. Um, really cool stuff. The two, they got two big grizzly bears, um, taxidermied when you walk in the front door at the, at the Anchorage mall. Um, just so you can kind of take in the, even though the city feel in Anchorage, you're taking in the wildlife there and understanding that you're out here in the wilderness in Alaska. Um, got to hike up some glaciers, uh, went on a boat tour to see the, the largest glacier in the U S um, really sick family picture we have from there. Um, my folks and my brother were able to visit for a week, experience Alaska. They were really excited to see a moose, really excited to see a caribou when we were out there. Um, got to, uh, got to rip the, uh, the four wheelers around a little bit different way of life. We don't really have that type of action going on here in Jersey, but, um, my host family had a couple of, couple of quads, couple of four wheelers that me and my host dad, my, uh, my host brothers, Trey and Teddy would rip around, go, uh, through the backyard of our house down to the, down to the beach, um, out there in Kenai. Um, nothing like the, the Western sunset over that, uh, Northern Pacific or Southern Arctic ocean, um, up there, just seeing the sun go down over the ocean on, uh, on an Alaskan evening is something, especially considering that the, the sun stays up all day out there. My first day in Alaska, I remember similar setup to what I had in Kansas. I was just by myself this time. I had the whole basement to myself, big picture window, um, right behind the TV there. So my first night there, you know, I watched an episode of something on Netflix to kind of relax my mind and then, uh, just turn the TV off and watch the sun get down to the horizon and then come right back up. Um, insane insane talk about a culture shock going out to kansas and iowa and spending time in the midwest it was just something to behold really that uh can't really understate or overstate my um my appreciation for for the difference in lifestyle out there in alaska um really cool that uh my host dad randy dodge and uh his wife shannon i mean made my time in Alaska awesome. One of the cool things I remember, I wrote them a little letter on my last day out there before I left that, uh, I was really appreciative. They, uh, Randy had a, had a King Ranch F350 that he used as his work truck. And, uh, that summer he, he barely needed it. And I got to rip that thing around for a couple months. So, um, man, if I could have driven that thing home with a clear conscience, I would have, it was, uh, it was awesome to just be out there and see how, um, accommodating, those host families can be. Um, a couple of guys have asked me about that over the years. You know, what does summer ball in college look like? And um, a majority of the time, the question is centered around these guys just being worried what it's like, you know, living with a family you don't know, going into a stranger's home for a couple months. Um, as long as you have a personality on you, man, and as long as you're willing to talk to people and you're a little bit open-minded about it, it's going to be the best time of your life. Um, these people are in, at least in my experience, they're in, uh, you know, Kansas, Iowa, Alaska. You're in places that not a lot of people are going to for uh, for most of the part of the year. And then the summertime comes around and, you know, the, the community really rallies around the summer ball team that's there. Most of the families in town are hosting a player. Um, and it becomes a big deal. It becomes a big deal. So if you're, if you're open to uh, having a little bit of personality, being kind of personable and just enjoying the experience and, um, saying thank, thank you and being grateful to these people that are opening up their home to you and being super accommodating to you. Um, 
it turns out to be a great time. You know, I mean, listen, they, of course, there's going to be guys that go in there worried about it and they're nervous. I think by the end of the summertime, that kind of stuff weeds itself out. You get a little more comfortable in your surroundings. But, yeah, I mean, the, the maybe I just got super lucky and had a really great experience three for three in my college career with the host families I had. I think overwhelmingly, though, the theme becomes that these people get really excited for the summer ball team to come to town and for these college baseball boys to come hang out with their kids, be part of their community, um, be a part of their home, be a part of their family for three months in the summertime. Um, as cool as it was for me to go out there, the impression I got from my host families was that they were just as excited as I was to host me as I was to be staying with them. So if there's any little bit of advice I can give the guys um, in college right now about summer ball, it's just be as personable be as thankful, be as grateful to those people um, as as you would be to your family staying at home. You know, get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Be willing to make that leap and go somewhere new and try something different. But understand uh, the sacrifice that these people are making to put you up in their home for a couple months. And, you know, the, 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 the people you're going to end up with are going to be great people. So enjoy that experience. Enjoy the new place. Enjoy the family that you're with. And uh, just take that extra second and be super grateful. Um, so yeah, out in Alaska was, was the best summer of my life. Um, still trying to figure out how to get back there one of these days. Um, this time of year is probably not ideal because just as much as the sun stays up all day in the summertime, it's down all day in the wintertime. So I don't know if I'm looking to make a trip up there while the weather's still cold, but when, the when that sun comes back out and the, and the leaves start to grow back on the trees, definitely got to find a way one of these springs or one of these summers to get back out there, uh, to that Kenai Peninsula. Um, Back to campus after that, uh, Coach Owens came in that summer, brought Coach Monahan and Coach Pedaruto with them, started this new era of Rutgers baseball that uh, it is nothing but trending in the right direction. I'm, I'm really grateful that I was able to learn from those minds and see, uh, see, you know, high level, high level baseball trending in the right direction in my home state. Uh, up here in the Northeast, where a lot of people doubt us in those last couple years of my college career. Um, that was the summer of summer of 2020, and uh, we're all uh, we're all super familiar with what happened after that with uh, with COVID and the the pandemic ripping through ripping through the nation and ripping through the world. So, little bit different circumstances. We get through our fall season, we get through the first couple of weeks of our spring season, and then uh, we're playing Mammoth on a Wednesday. Coach Owens, who's typically long winded in his uh, post game conversation, says, "Guys, look." We're leaving for our spring break trip tomorrow, and uh, I'm sure you're all aware of the stuff that's going on. So we're going to get on that bus and get on that plane and get out to our uh, get out to our baseball game before anybody tells us we can't. Um, lo and behold, as the cards fell, um, right as we're about to board the bus for Newark Airport that day, um, we get a note in our group chat saying, "Head back to the locker room and uh, just hang out until you hear word." A couple hours later, the decision comes down that you know get off campus, go home. And, uh, we didn't know what it was then, but we know now that that was the, that was the first day of quarantine and the first day of lockdown and all that stuff that went on. So, um, at that point in my senior year, it was, it was, it was pretty devastating just to, um, think that my career was over just to think that, uh, you know, everything that, um, everything that I had dedicated my life to up to that point, had kind of been taken away by this global pandemic that, you know, no one could have predicted. Nobody saw coming. Um, Almost nobody that's alive today had any recollection of anything like that ever happening. So pretty unprecedented circumstances, and no one knew how to react. Um, as much heat as the NCAA takes or has been taking these past couple of years in the in, in light of all this NIL stuff, 
that's been coming out. Um, can't really be more thankful to them um, than with their decision to say that um, all those athletes got that year of eligibility back. So I was fortunate enough to be able to return to Rutgers for my fifth year, uh, finish up my undergrad degree at the Rutgers Business School, um, played that summer locally once things opened back up for the Matrix. Coach Glennie Fredericks, he's the head coach at Spotswood High School local here in Middlesex County. Um, I texted him saying I needed a place to pitch. He said, let's go. I got a, I got a couple opportunities there at the end of the summer with a great group of guys playing for the Matrix. Um, in a super competitive local league, the ACBL, um, a lot of incoming freshmen will use that as their summer league. I know us at Rutgers Newark, we put a lot of guys in that league. Really competitive local league that um, guys that aren't looking to go away for the summer, you can still have an opportunity to play some really high-level baseball close to home, maybe save some money that way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Coach Fred's he's the man, um, electric personality, doesn't back down from anybody, super gritty, um, awesome, awesome, uh, super exciting for me in those days to get back on the mound and play for a guy with, uh, with as much energy as him. So then uh, – yeah, I mean, life starts to get back to normal a little bit. We get back on campus. Everybody's wearing the masks. You know, class is virtual. We're all online. Um, but we got to play our baseball season. Um, we're still lifting with our masks on. We're still on the field with our masks on. We're doing all that good stuff. We're getting our work in. Um, we end up playing an all-Big Ten schedule. That That's the spring of 2021 now. Um, our first series of the year, it's a three-team pod. Um we're playing Minnesota and Indiana that weekend. Penn State was also up there. We didn't get to play them that weekend. But um, we're playing in U.S. Bank Stadium, the uh, home of the Minnesota Vikings. The baseball setup in there is so sick. Um, sound bouncing off the bleachers is electric. It's loud in there. Um, <laughs> Big-time NFL video board. Um Playing the game inside like that in the dome and just you know pregame postgame meal in like uh, in the high rollers club down there at field level was uh, was certainly something that made you feel big time and um, heck of a way to open the year um, even that all Big Ten schedule we went on a little bit of a roll where uh, you know we we take a series from Michigan we go out to Nebraska who's leading the conference at the time we sweep them on their home turf and uh, there's some grumblings about us making the NCAA tournament. Um, we finished the season with another four-team pot at home. Indiana and uh, and Nebraska were our opponents that weekend. And just, um, you know, you can tab any number of reasons you want to. It Maybe the hype got to us a little bit, but uh, just couldn't secure, couldn't secure that national bid we were looking for, especially in a year without a Big Ten tournament because of COVID. Super interesting set of circumstances there where just about every other conference in the country had a conference tournament as they typically would in a non-COVID type year, in a regular year. Um, but the Big Ten didn't have a tournament that year, so it would have been um, would have been Rutgers' first trip to the Big Ten baseball tournament. But that's the way it went, and uh, and it was cool to see how Coach Owens and Coach Monahan and that staff could really uh, really show us the way to success through adversity um, in their first full year as a coaching staff, given all the COVID circumstances, and just seeing what we were capable of, um, even in the face of all of that. Um, that's where my college baseball career ended. Um, awesome, just awesome experience. I, I can't say enough about what Rutgers means to me being a local kid growing up with my connection to the, uh, to the program and to the athletic department. Um, 
you know, with my dad's connection to the team, I grew up um, when I was a little guy. I was the bat boy in the dugout when when Todd Frazier and um, you know Mike Biondi and Ryan Hill and Dave Williams and and a bunch of different guys I'm forgetting were just balling out of control, um, keeping Rutgers at the top of the Big East back in the Big East days. Um, I was fortunate enough to make a couple trips um, out to Georgia Tech, out to Notre Dame, out to Louisville, out to Miami. Um, my dad just bringing me to work with him and, uh, and legendary moose, uh, coach Fred Hill. Um, you know, I always say he didn't have to let, you know, the little six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old run around the dugout and be the bat boy, but he gave me that opportunity to kind of expose me to what high level, um, college baseball looked like and, uh, super thankful for that. But just to be able to have that kind of, that kind of arc to, uh, to my baseball story where I was able to grow up in that atmosphere and then, um, end up playing college ball for the team I grew up rooting for, end up getting a degree from a really esteemed high-level university in a, in a nationally ranked business school, all, all just because I could, pick up this, I could pick up this little white ball, I could pick up one of these guys, and I could throw it pretty good. Um, back in my high school days, I swung it pretty good, too. I got to Rutgers as a two-way in my freshman fall. Um, and then, you know, as, as every pitcher says, I still think I could hit the ball pretty good, but I turned into a P.O., and, uh, you know, the rest is history. I think a lot of opportunities opened up for me because of that, um, especially now as a, as a college pitching coach. Um, but, you know, all the, all the extracurricular stuff aside, just, just super, super thankful to all the people in my story. Just as much as, uh, as Coach Hill didn't have to let me run around the dugout, you know, my dad didn't have to bring me to work with him, give me that opportunity. My mom didn't have to bring me to work with her when she was working in the athletic center. Um, she didn't have to buy me lunch when I was on campus, just showing me what, uh, you know, when she was working in different departments, showing me what, what Rutgers had to offer from a full scale, full perspective outside of just the athletic department and, uh, and giving me that opportunity. So, um, yeah, as, as humble as I try to remain, um, I take a lot of pride in my, uh, in my, in my story coming from, you know, being that guy grabbing the, grabbing the bat after, you know, Todd Frazier or Frank Mead or one of those big bopper guys hit a bomb at Baton Field when it first got turfed to, uh, to getting up there on the mound, uh, on the weekend and, uh, and pitching in the same threads that, that those guys wore when I was growing up, um, being bug-eyed and impressed by their abilities. So, um, like I've said in, in, in interviews before, uh, Rutgers means the world to me, um, and uh, just just super grateful to everybody that's been in my corner and been in uh, been in my camp throughout my life that kind of kind of guided me through those positions, led me to those positions, and gave me the opportunities to go from from where I was as a youngster, falling in love with baseball, to where I am now as a guy just completely immersed in it and uh, and uh, thankful for for the opportunities and for the story that's led me here. Um, at this point in my career. Um, after my playing days had ended, um, jumped headfirst into the baseball warehouse. So I, I had gotten some opportunities kind of part-time towards the end of my coaching or end of my playing career to hop in there and coach. Um, Joe Augustine, who is the director of player development there, he runs the strength and conditioning there. He's, uh, he's the head honcho for all the teams. Um, and Coach Garlotti, who has ran the facility since its inception, just just awesome guys again to have in my corner that that provided me with an opportunity to hop in right away and do some lessons um coach a couple really good really good uh high school squads middle school squads and uh and just you know i guess impart some wisdom on the guys in the weight room that are trying to get bigger and stronger um 
we got an awesome facility set up there. Our teams are really on the up and up uh, coming from my days in high school playing fall ball there where we had two teams to now we have two teams at every age group from 13U to 18U. So um, we've come a long way, and it's been cool to be a part of that as a part of the transition um, to to more of a modern um, high school baseball experience where we're, we're competing at a really high level against some, some serious competition both uh, locally in the area and nationally. Um, yeah, I mean, Coach, Car- Coach Carlotti's got the setup over there. We've got three pitching lanes in the front. Um, TV in the lobby, um, two batting cages in the back. Joe's got the weight room set up in the back. Everything, everything that we need is is available for us at the baseball warehouse. We got an awesome group of coaches over there that um, that just get after it. Just, just you know, we got guys that teach. We got guys that work full time jobs. We got guys that are all over the map, but always, always come back to the facility. Always come back to the teams and put their best foot forward and try to do what they can to uh, to develop these high school guys and get them to uh, get them to the next level. Um, so at that point, you know, I started off, started off slow. I had my one team. I was working with the, uh, with the 2024s in my first year. I'm with the 2025s and the 2027s now. Um, got a couple lessons through coach Carlotti right away. Was able to, to dive into that, um, that private lesson, personal session, whatever you might call it, atmosphere. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, working with a guy one-on-one and just getting to, to, to get super in depth with mechanics, whether it be hitting or pitching, um, a couple of the younger guys will come in and say, how are you going to coach me on my hitting if you're a pitching coach, if you were a PO in college? And um, Joe's setup over there is pretty cool where anybody that's been player or pitcher of the year in our conference gets a fat head on the wall in the weight room. So as much as we got a couple position players up there now, I'm the only guy on the wall that's got uh, got his fat head with a bat in his hand. So I'll, uh, I'll uh, redirect those guys' attention to their right and say, listen, when you get your fat head on the wall, you can go find a uh, – you can go tell me I'm not as good of a hitter as you, but until then, um, I hope you listen to my instruction. I guess I can't, I can't make them, but I, uh, you know, I, as, uh, like I said before, as much as every PO thinks they can still hit, I like to just, uh, kind of cement my credibility, um, with my fat head on the wall. So again, shout out to Joe for, uh, for giving me that crutch when I need to lean on it. Um, coaching the teams has been a blast, um, Getting these younger guys, the 2027 team this year, their first year playing in the summer with the program, um, was a lot of fun to just see those guys right from the beginning and get an opportunity to kind of mold them, um, kind of start from the beginning with their uh, with their introduction to the 60-90 field and what you know what real baseball is going to look like for the rest of their life. So getting an opportunity to kind of take a blank canvas and just impart whatever knowledge. Um, is necessary on these guys as they uh, as they get their first taste of of what baseball is going to look like for the rest of their life, where they're not hitting 200 foot home runs over the Cooperstown fence anymore. They kind of got to get into the ball a little bit, throw it a little bit further, run a little bit faster, all that stuff. And just, um, you know, teach them some things that they haven't heard before, whether it's double cuts or whether it's first and third plays, runners breaking early, um, backing up bases, um, getting a sack bunt down, like all this fundamental stuff that isn't as present at the youth level just because kids get big and strong really fast and that, that field gets really small really fast. So being able to kind of take those guys from their inception to, to 60-90 baseball and, and, and mold them has been something I'm super thankful for. It's been a really fun experience. And then on the flip side of that, to have these guys that um, in the 2025 class now that are are going into or I guess are in their sophomore school year now where – the recruiting process starts to pick up. The um, 
the outlook on the college baseball starts to get more real for them. And to be able to take my my personal insight, kind of say, listen, when I was going through the recruiting process, here's what it looked like and here's what you can expect. And, um, you know, here's here's what here's what we should be expected to do when we're playing the game so that we can stand out to these college coaches. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I think what what helps me, especially as a young coach, is just the relatability factor. Um, the example I always give is, you know, when you see even these days when like when you see a guy that he's been at a he's been at a ball for 10 or so years now and you get a lot of these legendary coaches that are 60 years old or so um i think the the kids start to lose a little bit of touch with well the way it happened when you were going through it is probably different than the way it's going to happen now um that's not to say that my recruiting process in 2014 is the same way it runs in 2022 that's just to say i think um one of the advantages of being a young coach is that there there might be a little more relatability now where where the stuff I went to is going to look a little more the stuff I went through is going to look a little more similar to to what it looks like today and um just the ability overarchingly no matter how old how old you are to say um you know give your best 90 down the line um good body language when you're on the mound good body language when you're at the plate scrape off that error and uh, and tell your guys you're going to pick them up in the next one um if your teammate gets out ahead of you with the runner in scoring position to say don't worry pat him on the ass and say i got your back i'm gonna pick you up here um all that stuff that's really easy i think for for high school kids to lose sight of when they're playing it is that um it's not always about being the guy that's going to hit the double in the gap Sometimes it's about, you know, being the guy at first base that makes a pick when the shortstop throws a ball in the dirt. Sometimes it's about that one block you make with a man on third in a tie ball game behind the plate in the, in the last inning. Sometimes it's about, you know, going 0 for 3, but making a diving catch in center field it, it late in the game. Um, one of the one of the lines I always fall back on that I think encompasses this idea really well is Coach Blevins. When I was growing up, he's the uh, he's the head coach at North Brunswick right now. Um, longtime baseball warehouse guy, um, played a, played a cane, won a national championship there during his college career. Um, he used to say, if you pop up and you get out, take your anger out on the base path. And I think that, that sums it up perfectly to me. You know, if you're angry, run harder, right? If, if, um, if the college coach is there to see you play and you don't hit your double in the gap, but you pop up the shortstop instead and you get, you give the best 90 down the line just out of anger, you still gave your best 90 down the line. You're still giving them something to look at. Um, plus, it speaks again to that body language thing where, you know, if we're spiking the bat and I'm a coach, what am, what am I to think about, uh, about your mental component of your game? And if, uh, you know, if you line out to the shortstop and you give me your best 90 down the line, well, at least I know your heart's in it. And that's what's been cool for me to see getting into the recruiting side a little bit of it now up at Rutgers Newark is how how much the, the principles I try to teach to my guys apply to the guys that I'm watching that are potential candidates to play for us at the next level. Um, so it kind of keeps me on my toes a little bit. It kind of keeps me really honest where, you know, I might go watch a kid and I say, I really like that he did this. I didn't like this so much. Um having both sides of that script uh being my responsibility at the same time makes my life easy i get to i get to see the things that stick out to me both negative and positive from a recruiting perspective and say these are the things i should steer my guys towards these are the things i should steer my guys away when it comes to coaching these high school guys that i get to work with at the warehouse so um 
again, I mean, I, I'm sure I sound like a broken record at this point, but the, the perspective is really important just to, just to, I think, take a step back sometimes and be super uh, reflective on the opportunities you have. And um, like I tell guys in these lessons all the time, right, just because we're working on our lower body one day and then we're working on our shoulders or our core the next day, it doesn't mean we just do one at a time. It means we put all the pieces together. We have to stack these things on top of each other and try to get them all right. So I think if um, if someone has the ability to take a step back and see all of the pieces that go into their puzzle and try to figure out the best formula to put them together, I think that can lend itself to some success. Um I certainly don't know if I'm in a position to give anybody advice, especially at this point as a as a 24 year old uh, second year coach. But I certainly think there's some merit to being able to take that step back, being able to to see the full picture, put everything in perspective for yourself, and um, and figure out how the pieces fit. If you're in a constant state of uh, reflection in a constant state of trying to figure out the best formula that works. I think that ability to be flexible and that ability to um, always adapt makes life really easy. As much as it might be a challenge to to not settle into a specific routine and to not get really caught up in your ways and just do the same thing all the time, that can be super easy. Um, especially if you think you have a formula that works and I'm not knocking that. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think the best way to make sure it ain't broke is to continue to adapt to the circumstances that you're in and, uh, super thankful, super fortunate to be in a position where I can kind of see both sides of that story at the same time and, um, be able to take, uh, a recruiting and college level mindset and apply it to what, uh, what I try to teach these guys at the high school level, whether it be in lessons or as a team trying to win ball games and tournaments in the summertime, or just trying to get that fastball velo up, get guys to hit the ball a little bit harder, um, be a little cleaner on defense, whatever it might be in a, in a more personal setting. Um, and that kind of brings us up to date really. Um, I'm in the third semester of four, of an economics master's at Rutgers Newark. Um, awesome, awesome opportunity I have there to pursue my master's degree. Um, like I said at the top of the podcast here, um, I'm very excited to be done with the uh, with the school part of my career. But I would be super remiss if I didn't um, if I didn't just talk about for a couple seconds here just how thankful I am to uh, to Coach Courtman and to uh, Mark Griffin and the Rutgers University Newark staff for giving me the opportunity to continue my education. Um, keep my options open, right? If we're talking about being reflective um, and uh, and putting all the pieces together and seeing how everything fits, um, furthering furthering your education, right? Uh, I mean, I think uh, right off the bat, it sticks out to me that you know if we're as coaches going to tell guys that you know the most important metric, um, whether it comes to recruiting or staying eligible at the college level, is your GPA, um, then. I think I can have some credibility there where I'm saying, listen, as much as you got to go to class after lift and before practice today, I got to go to class after lift and before practice today. So um, you best believe, I tell my pitchers this all the time, they best believe that even uh, even with all that stuff going on, even with such a busy schedule, I'm going to put together a practice plan or a game plan or a rotation that uh, I think is going to put us in the best position to win. So I certainly hope um, if I can set that standard the way I want to, then I hope these guys get the message that, um, like I said, tackling successfully each part of your life and going after it with a full head of steam is is really important. And I think it, I think it helps. I think um, the old maxim is always to stay as competitive in the classroom as you are on the baseball field. 
And I think, like, how you do something is how you do everything, right? So, like, if I can get after it in the classroom and stay up on my studies and maintain my GPA at a high level, then I know what doing something at a high level feels like. And when I step on the mound or I step in the batter's box or I'm out there playing defense, I'm not going to have to try to channel something different and flip a switch to see what what performing at a high level looks like. I already know what that looks like, right? You want to, you know, we talk at Rutgers Newark, our priorities have to be our faith, family, education, and then baseball. If you can be a good son, if you can be a good brother, if you can be a good boyfriend, a good husband, if you can be a good student, if you can be a good baseball player, how you do something is how you do everything. So if we can, if we can stay on top of things and go after every aspect of our life with a full head of steam, I think it just ends up being a rollover effect into the rest of your life where you're not trying to be somebody different in a different setting. You just get to be the same person all the time. Um, so that's that's my story. Um, I probably spent too much time here um, going over my resume and my credentials and introducing myself. But again, in our uh, in our pilot podcast here, I kind of wanted to give you guys a glimpse into into kind of what I'm about and kind of my motivation in putting this podcast together and putting this info out there for you guys. Um, I certainly hope you guys listen. Um, this is the, the the Green Grass and White Bases podcast. Um, we'll have a link out. We'll share the video. We'll share the audio. We'll make sure this is uh, pretty easily dispensable and accessible to everybody that's uh, that's interested. Um, but other than that, um, we hope uh, we hope this thing takes off. Like I said, uh, I want to have a focus um, throughout the uh, throughout the duration of this podcast. However many episodes we might go here, I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping for some success, and I'm hoping for some. Uh, some continued episodes here and that this starts to get legs and take off a little bit. But um, my focus um, as of right now, kicking it off, jumping off the diving board here is going to be to find a way to touch on all those aspects through a baseball lens, you know, whether it's academics, whether it's um, the impact of your family, the impact of your background, like mine was in getting me to Rutgers, the impact of your support system, like mine has been giving me this opportunity at Rutgers Newark, giving me the opportunity at the baseball warehouse, um, education, whereas, you know, I, I was able to get an undergrad degree from a pretty, uh, pretty legit business school there in New Brunswick, and I'm able to continue my master's degree at the, uh, at the School of Economics in Newark, um, those are the things, uh, if nothing else, those are the things that have become really important to me and have been important to me throughout my baseball career. Kind of gives you the full perspective and the full scope of my story and what's kind of molded me into uh, into what I am today and how I've ended up at this point. Um, I plan on having a bunch of guests on here. Um, I'm hoping to be able to lean on some of my buddies that play pro ball. Um, some guys I've known through Rutgers, through the warehouse, through all these different outlets throughout the year to kind of give you guys some different perspectives on different uh, different aspects of our game. Um, if if baseball is going to be a medium that brings us all together, then we might as well figure out each and every little nook and cranny and each and every little piece of it that uh, that we can touch on. I think the more information we have and the more well-rounded our view is, the better understanding we have of the game, the better understanding we have of each other, and the better understanding we can kind of garner as to how to be successful in this game. Um, I think with the way that high school and travel baseball have become these days, I think the way that college baseball and the big leagues even are shaping up these days, um, it's very readily apparent to see just how just how good um, these guys have to be to, to, to go up from the high school to the travel level, from the travel level to the college level, from the college level to the pro level, from the pro level to the big leagues. Um, the, the talent pool and the crop of guys just keeps getting better and better. So, I, I think the more 
the more people I can have on here, the more voices I can have, just like I talk about with the with the different coaching staffs I've had through my high school and college career, to just provide different voices, to provide different insights, and kind of give us a well-rounded perspective, kind of give us a look at, at what our game looks like from a bunch of different lenses. Um, through through a bunch of different vantage points is is something that can be super valuable and um, I hope that that thought on my end um, becomes applicable to you guys. I think uh, I hope my my dream and my goal is to to provide you um, with some insight that this audience and you guys will find really valuable. And uh, I know just uh, just like I said, how you do something is how you do everything. So as much as I worked my tail off when I when I was playing, and I, I try to work my tail off in the classroom now, and uh, and uh, you know work my work my butt off to make sure these pitchers at uh, at Rutgers Newark and these teams I'm putting out there on the field at the warehouse and these guys I'm working with are are continuing to improve. Um, I'm I, I'm gonna work my tail off to make sure. Uh, this podcast gives you guys something worth some value to you. So I, uh, I appreciate you tuning in to this inaugural episode here. This has been the pilot episode of the green grass and white bases podcast. Um, I'm your host, Eric Reardon signing off. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Cause it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old.